Well, hello. Our guest today is very talented and successful graphic designer and owner of the Draplin Design Company. He has online training courses, co-created a series of memo books that are sold worldwide, released a book called Pretty Much Everything, been a speaker at TEDx, Adobe Max, and about 470 other events. He designed stuff for rock bands, comedians, restaurants, and others. There are a bunch of links down there in the bio, so if you haven't seen his stuff, you gotta go check it out. He is ambitious, driven, super honest, and just a cool fucking guy. Here is my friend, Aaron Draplin. How often do you come across some sort of design or logo where you're just like, this is a piece of shit? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, you see things, of course, and, and uh, I think the trick is to understand context and also understand um, pressure systems behind it. It's real easy to you know beat down someone and say, he, she, they, whatever, they, they did a bad job and they could have done better. <clears throat> and, you know, the stuff that hurts is when you see it with big resources, right? So if it's a little shitty band and their little brother's doing it mm-hmm. and it's the best job they could do, and it's a little rough, like they're still going for it. That's commendable to me, right? But if it's some big act... And they're just having the kid chained to the desk at some corporate office, do it, phone it in, be stuck with it when their little brother could have done it the best way or whatever that means. That's the one that hurts because it's just like it's part of a mechanism to churn out shitty beat down design. So, okay, so when I see things that are just kind of like, that's a nice looking stop sign. That made it through a lot of hurdles to become a stop sign. You know what I mean? It's like it's well done. Or... I'm paying my taxes. They're trying to do this initiative to help people, and the logo just sucks up in the corner. Well, I'll bet it's very bureaucratic, and there's lots of levels and things, and they tried. And you know see what I'm getting at? It's like before I just go and pounce on it and say, that's just bad. Who am I to even say? You know, So when I have an opportunity to make a food cart you know, or, or, or a record label, I really try to think through, like, this is our opportunity to do it. There might be no budget. There might be lots of budget. You know, one of the privileged positions of being this graphic designer that people come after and ask this question to, it's like, I get journalists hitting me up and and baiting me and saying, what do you think about the new Instagram logo? And it's like, (laughs) stop it. Stop it. They didn't shit that out overnight. Yeah. They did it over the course of testing and people and demographics and things. And by the way, have you ever paid for Instagram? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what my mind. But no, this journalist wants me to shit on it because it's like it's going to go give her some ammo to go go after them. And it was like what was embarrassing in that transaction to me. I made the right call. I said, you know what? It's pretty well done. It's true. And what was embarrassing were all my colleagues who already had shit on. You know, mm-hmm. just all just dumping on. Oh, it's this, it's that. Well, then why don't you do it better? Think about the whole world using that app. Yeah. And what they have to come up. So. I always try to stop myself one little smidge and go, you know, I'm just going to stop myself. But tomorrow night when we go to that Bob Dylan concert and I go to that that uh, that merch table and I see that merch and if it sucks, oh, well, my blood will be <laughs> You let somebody know. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll just, no, I'll just walk away going, people are paying 45 bucks for a turt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we went to the Tenacious D show. Yeah. <laughs> Real high art, intellectual stuff, right? <laughs> the t-shirts were great 
They were goofy and people were lined up to get them and it was perfect. You know what I mean? It was like they just, they had good craft. Yeah. They had good craft. So, you know, uh, the stuff that hurts is when you see something out there that we're all going to be stuck with for a long time. Like when you're out hiking or out in the woods and you see this like some initiative about like funding for some trail mm -hmm. and then that trail sign. You can just tell someone did it. Well, that's an right, interesting yeah. point, too, because, like, all the signs... Like, we're stuck with that for a lot, a lot of years. The road signs just in Oregon, the the kerning is really weird. You see, are, you know about kerning. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. I, I see stuff like that, and I'm like, why? There must be some sort of legibility. See, you have... Of course, of course. You also... Uh, you are, you're seeing what you can't... You, you know, you can't unsee that now. Yeah. And it's hard for me as this nerd... To see a K and a O that I could back my van through, we could yeah. back our little Volkswagens through, right? We could back these things because it's you know. But there's also something to think about. At my 48 year old eyes, how does that thing read from a half an exit away? You're right. Yeah. There is some you know. There's some stuff there you know. And what about a 78 year old driving around having to read that thing? And you know how does it reflect from when it's at night? So there's maybe in my younger years, I'd see something and get all bent out of shape, you know? And I'll just be as, you know, I'll be as honest as I can be. When you see a colleague phone something in, knowing they could have done the time and made me want to wear it on a t-shirt, mm -hmm. and then it not be that, mm, it makes my blood boil. But, well, I've, I've worked at some places and had to get feedback from people. And the thing that, the, the most important thing that I've learned over the years is that I never give anybody anything finished. I never mm. put it where I think it's perfect because they're always going to have some sort of change because yeah. people want to put their input on the project. Unless, I mean, your situation might be a little bit different because they're probably directly hiring you and yeah. asking you for your creative. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, I, I've done, I mean, back in the day when I used to work at the art museum and I'd be editing these videos for the board of trustees and they'd get Susan from accounting yeah. to put, and I'm like, why are you asking? Her opinion doesn't matter, man. Well, well, part of the gracious uh, dance you got to do is you got to create uh, a path for ownership for even Susan, the people who are paying the bills, yourself. You got to create that. You are already doing that. It's just called compromise. That's all. It's just the big old C word. You got to compromise. And you're right. Uh, I have these weird little percentages always in my mind where it's like 90 or 110. Like we only got to 90%. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, they killed it. And that 10%, that last 10%, they just beat it all up. It's okay. It's okay. You know, we've got to 100% sometimes. What if we got to 110%? Well, then I'll celebrate. I'll put it all over my stuff and I'll freak out, but that's only one in 20 or whatever. No, for me to do my job and do my job well, First of all, I have to stop and remind myself, I'm not the one paying for this thing. Yeah. They're hitting me up. Now, if I'm making my own stuff and I'm paying for it, I get to make all the calls. I get to screw it up. If I have a typo, I have to go fix it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's on me. Yeah. Susan gets involved and all the other people that were getting us all, you know, giving you a paycheck or me a paycheck. Well, you hold them there. You hold their asses accountable. And then you also make sure that she gets her punches in and it's a tough thing because what if she steers it the wrong way well there's ways of psyching people out and and the psychology is a weird thing where it's like you don't say you like something or don't like something you always say 
The reason this orange bag is successful here is because, well, you can see it, you know. Why it's not successful, because you can smell it from where you're sitting. I apologize, my friend. <laughs> you know, you, you don't allow people to say, I don't like it. Well, why? Well, she doesn't like it that day. That's subjective. And that's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of petty. And, you know, you have to build things to say, you're not going to, you're not going to turn this thing off. You're not going to turn this thing down because it works for what we need. It's under the, you know, the, you got to over exceed. You got to, you got to show that it's going to be in on time. And if they want to, and here's, here's the, here's the whole uh, asterisk to this whole thing. You do your job, you do your job, you do a good job, you do a good job, you do whatever. And they murder it in the end. Fuck it. Who cares? Keep moving. Yeah. Keep moving. You got your paycheck, right? Yeah, I did. I got my paycheck. Oh, you got it in on time, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, you know. Are you? Can you really show it on your portfolio? <laughs> no, they murdered it. Now I can't feed my ego. So what? So I'll show things I make on my own to fill that hole. Well, right? yeah. How often do you do something where you're like, oh god, I wish my name wasn't on that? Oh, there's been. I don't know. It happens. Well, hopefully, you know. First of all, first of all, you have to be in the realm. Or that possibility is even like, um, I don't put myself in that realm a lot. Yeah. So how about this? It's like when you work for your buddy in their food cart or their shitty little band or whatever, they're just excited that you're even involved. That's a different realm than someone being able to push you around because there's a board or there's a bunch of Susans or there's a bunch of whatever is weighing in on it. For the most part, the stuff I'm working on, it's me and my little smoochy Lee, and we're just fighting it out, trying to make some dumb patch to go on a dumb hat and then sell some stuff to my dumb friends. That's about the basics of it. <laughs> There's no heartbreak in there. There's no ability to start and stop. It's up to me. There's no fucking around with funding. I only buy what I can afford, right? We don't play this game of like, well, you're going to have to wait. Until we sell this, then we can pay you. And if we don't sell it, well, we're all out. No, 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 none of that. None of that. Everything I do is in the black. Everything. Uh, um, the only bit of debt I have is on my my shop in my backyard. Yeah. Which you should come by and see. Because as a rocker, you know, appreciate. I got a I got a record wall, and I got my guitars on my junk. But only reason I have that debt is because I paid cash when I when I built it with my my contractor buddy here in town and mm -hmm. you had to you have to pay for architects and engineers and all these things and you know built the studio in my backyard. Well, the only reason I have that debt is because I rent it from wait, the Drappen Design Company rents it from Aaron Drappen or vice versa, something like this. Like my accountant set that up, yeah. right? Because it's just better business. The it's I know it's simple and I know it's probably a little naive, but I got out of the hole in 2012, and I have never gone back. I own all my, you know what I mean? That's the only bit that I carry. So see, that philosophy of like, when they dangle these big projects, and I am I know it's a privileged position to be in where you're even in the, the running for some of that stuff. I'm able to weigh it and say, nope, it's too volatile. And they're going to kick me around, and they're going to break my heart, and they're going to, you know, you know, rip me in half, and then I'm going to get some little beat down paycheck in the end of it. I'll stop myself and say, I'm just not going to do it. Do you ever write into your contract? You get one edit, or or anything like that, where oh. you just like, this is what you fucking get. I know what you mean. And we're done. Yeah, um, not really, because the thing is, is it's the ownership um, rule. Um, I mean, I know I'm being recorded from 17 angles right now, so I'm trying to, trying to say something articulate. Listen, you get me off the, whatever, not even on the record offer, it hurts when you have someone make a shitty decision and then you're stuck with it. Yeah. It hurts. But if that's their decision, 
I, I can celebrate it or I can just get my paycheck and be done with it. You know, what's fun is when a little band comes to me and they say, we don't have any money, man. We don't, you know, we have very little. Can you do it for this? It's like, I don't even care if there's any money involved. Yeah. I do okay with all the other things stacked up, right? So I keep room for that to say, oh, you don't have anything? I don't care. Get me a stack of records when we're done, and I'll give those to my friends. I'll listen to them, and we're going to do a great job together, and you're going to love it when we're done. Well, what happens when it's a $100,000 logo? I say the exact same stuff. Yeah. So it's all about setting a tone. And without having a bunch of legalese, you know, lawyers and shit involved in being like, you get this divided by that, divided by the coefficient of the hypotenuse and the synod, whatever. Help me get it across the finish line, you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we have a six-week window. Why make it six months? They want to make it six months, it's on them. I'm still going to get paid. We have, you know, they signed a contract. So I have protections in place. But I'll just say, if we start getting past two or three, four rounds, I'm just not the right guy. Yeah. Um, if you didn't see it in the first one or, you know, first one or, you know, first or second round, you're not going to see it. Yeah. No, that's hard to talk about with people. So the idea that like, I know people that build into clauses and things and stuff, you get this, man, you want to squash something. You want, I mean, you want to squeeze all the life out of shit. Try telling it to someone who's giving you a big pile of money. I'm a little more of the, of the ilk of just like, I'm yours. Mm -hmm. Strap me around your waist and let, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. And I will chain myself to the desk to make you love this. You know, what the fuck are we making here? It's not like I'm making something to sell, yeah. you know, cure some cancer cell or something. Well, I'm a cake decorator. You know what I mean? Depending like on what the company is, or something. It, it could have a lasting effect. I mean, you look at like Coca-Cola or- mm, right, um, right out of the river. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there are some of these these brands that have iconic images yeah. that will they're never going to change the Nike swoosh. Right, right. You know, there are certain things that will become timeless because, yeah. for better or worse, they can't change it. Yeah, yeah. I would challenge that they don't need to ever, ever. You know, if you go in there trying to muscle your way into this is what I want to do, just you're pissing up the wrong rope. Yeah. You know, go in there and do your job. Help them sell a bunch of shoes and bullshits and sweatpants and golf clubs and shit. And then get out of there. And then take that profit back to your backyard. Yeah. And make a fucking universe out of it. Yeah. But don't pretend for one second that they're just going to let you. Who gets to do that? One out of a thousand do. Like, you know, that that uh, Mr. Uh, Virgil Abloh. You know that? You know that name? Uh -uh. Well, look it up. Because he was one of these guys who was making shoes for, like, Kanye and... High society Nike shit, right? It's just one of these big names. But the guy passed away, right? He passed away. And it's 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 tragic, of course. But, you know, that's the one guy that gets to go do whatever the hell he wants. There's 900, 999 other people chained to a desk out in Beaverton making T-shirts that go into finish line that just makes bulk and keeps uh, shareholders happy. Yeah, That's okay, too. You know, I mean, and and I was just always okay with, like, I don't, I don't, who, who's number one? Who gives a shit? You know, who's number seven? 
who has any different than number eight? I did a sticker for Chris Stapleton, this rock and roll guy, mm-hmm. country guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a fan now, man. I mean, he's good to his roadies <laughs> and he's good to his uh he's good to his Mandarin. They're all good people. I just got to do a record for him, a little seven inch record. And anyway, I did a sticker that never quite made the made it, but the sticker said, uh, Chris Stapleton, Nashville's forty seventh fastest guitar player. <laughs> he loved it. And I was like, Man, he doesn't take himself seriously. Who's who's number one this month? Who gives a shit? Yeah. I'm a fan. Fan, and I will have those records the rest of my life. And it's like that self-deprecating quality of, um, you know, um, um, uh, of his to make fun of himself and not take himself to in a high-pressure situation. This is just Chris we're talking about, right? He's a high-pressure high situation yeah. to keep that whole Stapleton thing going. Um, that he can stop himself and have a laugh like that. That's the mark of a of, – of a, there's, it's a good, healthy situation, yeah. right? Now, if that guy took that and said, how dare, I'm number one this month, and I'm number four, who gives a flying shit about See, who's number one? you came up with the whole slogan and everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, the idea is they say, make a bunch of fun stickers. Yeah. Now, what are you going to do? And you're going to say, Chris Stapleton, authentic, whiskey-dripped, graphic, does he even drink whiskey? See, that's what I'd say to yeah. him. It's like he made his big hit on the Tennessee whiskey. The way I, if I sat with him, I'd say, "What can we make fun of?" Yeah, you know, you know. By the way, you know, smartest roadies in the country music industry. You know who's gonna love that? Stupid roadies are all gonna laugh about <laughs> yeah. that. They all have a laugh. Yeah. And by the way, that does get back to us out in the crowd at some point. Be like, yeah, I like supporting these dipshits. You know, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, versus it being something that has to like. Um, I don't know, constantly position itself to be smarter, better, faster, cooler, whatever, you know. And, um, you know, where all this comes from, this kind of half-ass attitude of mine, it comes from heartbreak. Like you said, you've worked out at Nike. I mean, I'm out here grilling you. Oh, you got a drum set. You got whiskey. You got all this cool shit. What are you, some Joe Rogan bullshit going on? What is going on here? What, who are you? What are you? I am grilling you. But you said you work for some Nike and some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, me too a little bit. And you give your whole life to that fucker for a year. And you're on phone calls. And they're they're just... They're right up your asshole, you know, every morning. Where's this? And why is that? And where, And you're hanging on every word. And you hand the project off, and it's done, and you are basically dead. You know yeah. what I mean? Now, yeah. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were just on the phone for a year. We're all friends now. No, they're already working on the next damn thing. And by, yeah. the, by the time they sell through that thing, what, eight more months or something? It doesn't even matter. They're yeah. on to the next thing. And that was just too much for me. My friends who make a cool record or make a cool food cart or make a little snowboard product or something, they're going to celebrate it for a lot of years and get behind it for a lot of years. And I just saw the the machine out there and I quit taking those jobs, probably make even more money. Well, yeah, I, I imagine once you reach a certain point, you probably don't care about money anymore, right? You kind of- Oh, you're... fuck. No, I, you know my favorite thing about graphic design? Getting big paychecks. Cashing them, looking at them, smelling them. <laughs> Shit, yeah, because it allows me to go do what I'm doing this afternoon, which yeah. is buy my little sister a car, yeah. right? And then help them, and then they can get a loan on their own terms and not get raked over the coals by, you know, these guys at a dealer and all this. Like, I'm just a front. Yeah. Of course it matters, because it's, and it's not even about me. You know, Lee always makes fun of me, my girl, like, uh, well, Aaron got a new sweatshirt, you know. And it just stops right there, you know. What does that mean? Well, the last one he got was in 2014. <laughs> what you know, does like, that mean? you know, like you know, like you know, the idea that like 
I don't need a bunch of shit. Yeah. You know, I, I have one pair of jeans. Last time I bought a pair of jeans, man, was 2014. I don't need, I don't even wear them anymore. You know, $8 Target shorts, which I got on right here. That's, that's pretty comfortable. You know, yeah. you can really live in those things. So, you know, <laughs> pandemic comes along and you're not even allowed to leave the house, whatever that means. Um, you're not putting on airs for anything. You know, if you go out to Nike, you got to wear pants. I haven't worn pants, my friend, in years. And, you know, the, the uh, Fong, the uh, UPS uh, uh, postal guy, you know, my mail carrier guy, he'll say, "Aaron, you got your pants on?" I say, "No, I don't." And he goes, "Okay, I'm gonna leave it at the door." <laughs> like we know that. Yeah. We know that now. Yeah. So that heartbreak of like, I was a good um, worker bee for them, and I did my job, and I got a paycheck. And then it's just done. I don't need him to be blowing smoke up my ass for another six months, but it was just kind of tough, you know, kind of harsh. And it was like, you know, my my friends who we got to do Super Deluxe. If you've had a burger over at Super Deluxe, if you had one, yeah, of those, I yeah. have been there. Yeah, yeah, down there on Powell. Yeah. Now we're up to number. I think it's number four is coming to Bend pretty soon. Um, uh, that's different. It's close to the bone. You're hiring people that need a second chance. Um, there's some hard scrabble kids in there that we gave a second chance. They're doing great, right? Um, it's a tasty burger, you know, and people are going there, you know, during that whole pandemic. That's a little more interesting to me. Do I make a lot in that? Don't make shit on it. Very little, but I own a little you know, smidge of it. Yeah. If it does take off, then it might do well. But if it doesn't, I get to be with my buddies. I get to work with my friend Dave Nakamoto and work on graphics and all this. So this is about three, four years ago now. But, you know, now, like, I'm, I don't really do any graphics for it anymore. I'm just an owner silent little owner of that thing and every now and again I go, go get a burger you're an and, owner of super deluxe but just if you take all the grains of sand i just have a couple grains of sand okay right now my buddy's got a couple more grains of sand and then you up you get to the some point where you know one of the owners has 50 percent or something or whatever 51 percent. no 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 we're just we're little guys you know but in lieu of uh getting money for like logos and things and stuff we just took ownership you know yeah. of that thing so that was just an interesting thing because then your ass is on the line and you believe in it by the way they're delicious yeah you know and and um like every time i drive by it it's going it's living it's breathing and that's enough of a paycheck for me sometimes that's got to I mean? be a pretty cool feeling to drive by a, a burger shop and be like yeah man i made that when my mom picked me up from the uh, airport i went and saw my mom in um like um like um middle of february so i fly back to detroit and my mom and my sister picked me up from the airport and on the way back there's a billboard that's one of these digital billboards so you can put anything you want on it digital billboard and there's a Chris Stapleton tour sign for all the concerts this summer. And I did the graphic for that thing. So here we are in Detroit. You know, we don't know this is coming up. This thing shifts every 15 seconds to the next damn thing. And the one pops up and I just kind of go, Mom. And we just <laughs> laugh. Me. And it's like, there it is, there it is, holy shit. Because he's got to promote his shows in Detroit, you know, or whatever. It's coming up, you know, probably played a month ago or something. So that was like, I will never, ever lose that buzz. Yeah. Uh, without shitting on Nike too much. But you go into a room of a bunch of 22-year-olds, uh, I'll do these workshops and stuff. Sometimes you walk in, they get a good look at this pile of shit, and they're just, they're not interested, <laughs> and they're just like, what is this? And I'll just kind of go, oh, yeah? Who here is wearing a pair of Janoskis? You know those Nike Janoskis? Mm, I have a pair. Okay, go look at the little label, and I'll go, oh, yeah, well, I did the logo on that. And then these guys snap into attention because suddenly 
they have some context that, whoa, he does do some stuff. But I'm not there starting. I mean, I'll start with that just to break the ice because I saw a kid wearing a pair of Janoskis and it's like that's instant like attention grab. Because when you look at Virgil Abloh, he's making, I don't know, he was making Kanye shoes and just go look this guy because you'll be beautiful books. And he was like a titan of design and forward thinking and just one of these like trendsetters. Sadly, the guy died, but I am not one of those. You know, I have a book. But I'm not one of these guys getting flown all over the world to go and, I don't know, fashion shows and shit. But the, the thing is, is like, I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, that's not my pursuit. When they're challenging you, when you go into that room and it's like, whoa, 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 before you write me off, I've done some stuff that you're probably wearing a pair of. But that's not, I'm going to, I'm not going to win you from that. I'm going to win you over with fun little graphics of stickers and things that may or may not make a buck or might make a whole lot of money you'd never know. You know? Well, that's the thing about being young, and I think companies like Nike, they hire young kids like that because their ideas are fresh. Yeah. And, I mean, they're blank slates. And so yeah. sometimes that's good. Sometimes they come up with stuff. But other times it pays to have somebody who's been doing it for a little while and oh, yeah. understand certain things. Well, one of the scary parts about being 48 years old is at what point am I just not part of that mess anymore? Yeah. You know? Now. I'd like to think if I got a call from Nike, I have the process down. I can go hire people. I can figure out an idea. I can take a look at their history and then and recalibrate and say, all right, try this little twist on what you guys have been doing all these years and years and years. I know how to do that, right? But at what point am I just out of the running? Because I'm 48 years old and I'm just away from it. I'm all right with that. You know, when I talk about having no debt and stuff, you know, I'm only – I'm only 60 blocks from you, right? Just down Sandy. I bought that house in 2004. You know, I had it paid off by 2012 because it's not just to be have debt, be debt free. It's because I was afraid all this shit was going to go away. And I didn't want to be attached to a bank if things went bad. Yeah. I didn't want to be embarrassed if I couldn't make my car payment and stuff, right? Because I was, this is just as a, a worrying Midwesterner, you know, um, well, your mom and dad teach you. <laughs> Don't buy shit you can't afford. Don't go too big. That's why, you know, I'm really curious about your thing here because <laughs> it looks bigger than it is. I'm getting crypto money. I know. Well, crypto maybe, maybe you are. But you know what? If I find out you just had all this shit because it's just cool to do, it makes me love it that much more. That's what I like about these things. Listen, you can be, you can have good craft like this and be a tiny little vital little thing. Might have a million people listen, might have no one listen, but you enjoyed it along the way. I was going to say before, like my buddies in bands, you know, I've been lucky to work for some Chris Stapletons and some bands that go out and do it. And they they got the hole and they hit it and they they exploited it and they did an awesome job. But what about when the band says to me like, you know, we toured for a while and they just never took we were fighting. The record company gave us a fucking hard deal and then we're this and we're that. And I just stopped them and I'll say... You toured? I never got to go tour. Well, I actually did with all these speaking gigs, but I didn't go with a band. I didn't get to go with a band. You did it. I don't care if it was for lots of money or no money. You did something that I I would like to do, and that's aspirational for me. And mm-hmm. and that's that's the funny part is like people miss the fact that maybe they weren't loved or they weren't you know you know whatever. Like going to that tenacious D a couple nights ago, it was like everything. And I saw the comments on my shit. Oh, come on. You're going to see this, you know, comedy duo, whatever. It's fucking fun. 
Who's going to shit on Tenacious D? Oh, you'd D? be amazed. You'd be amazed. Because it doesn't fall in line with like this indie ethos that we uh, start to like limit yourself with. You know, I hold close that I used to go see the Jesus Lizard at Satyricon when they were <laughs> sketchy. And I'm, what, 22 years old and it's fucking the best. But see, that night... My friends were across the river seeing The Offspring or something. Uh -huh. I'm not going to that shit. They suck. So I'm <laughs> going to the, the things I love, which are crusty and they're art and yeah. they're hard to get to when they're indie. At some point, you're just making it hard on yourself to enjoy anything. See what I'm getting at? So then I go to Tenacious D and these guys are like, oh, come on. What, you're at these big concerts now and shit? You know what? I did the poster. Um, who doesn't like Jack Black? The guy should be on fucking Mount Rushmore. He's mm -hmm. incredible. <laughs> you know, I got to shake his hand. I didn't go up and hug him and get a photo and shit and all this. No. I just said, Hey man, give him help. There he goes, I will try. You know, with a little wink, you know, he's like, yeah. I have a fucking movie. He's right there. And we wanted to see it up close and it was fun. And it was dumb and you get to see the roadies and you get to see all the stuff. And it's like, I just, and the kids in the crowd singing along. So, you know, th there's, there's an underdog. I, re I remember when they were underdogs, he was still a big star already. School of Rock and all these other things, mm -hmm. but Tenacious D was not. And one of the things he said when he came out is he said, first show we played in Portland was at Burbati's Pan. I think I, re I didn't go to it, but I remember when they came through because a buddy of mine was a bit of a guitar tech for these guys or mm -hmm. some kind of road manager. This guy named Joe Beebe um, who worked with the Foo Fighters, for a local guy here, um, worked for a lot, of, a lot of years with the Foo Fighters and other things. Well, like that's enough for me just to go and be excited that whatever this Tenacious D thing is. And on top of that, it was just funny, you know? So, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, contradiction in the things I love. Like I love things that no one knows about. But if it gets to a point where no one's ever going to know about it, then I get a little schemed out. You know, it's like don't you know don't hide it. You know, why even make it? You know, versus versus, well, go out to Nike. You get to get the biggest 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 uh, draw for all the work you're going to do. It's a big heartbreak too, man. Yeah, big heartbreak. So you know, what's that? You know. Well, so what what was the kind of defining moment? Was there some project you were working on back in the day when you're just a little kid making graphics and things weren't really working out and then something happened that kind of let you transition into doing this full time and making money at it? Oh, well, um, I'm trying to think like it's a weird little path. Uh, I didn't go right out of school. Ran to college or something. Did you ever have a regular job, like a nine to five, anything? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and that's why the path is a little weird. Um, um, like I love to get in front of a bunch of kids out of school, you know, in some art program or something, because someone will say to me, "But have you ever had like a straight job?" And I said, "I washed dishes for four summers in Alaska, five months at a time. It's a pretty straight job, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're in Cook White and you're washing dishes." Where's the poetry there? <laughs> well, the poetry was at the end of my first summer, I bought my first computer. No one else was going to buy it for me. <laughs> Five months of my life, I went up there and worked and sucked up in this dish pit on a train in between Alaska and Fairbanks. And I got back and I bought my computer and that gave me entry into the game. At least I had my tools. Now, what did I do before that? Well, that summer, I remember pedaling my bike to Kinko's, swiping my little debit card, and you get two hours of time for, I don't know, 35 bucks or whatever it was, 12 bucks an hour or something on the computer. You learn real quick 
the power of that machine when you're having to pay for every second of it, right? Right? Because I didn't have one. I didn't have one. So what yeah, happened? But what about using Illustrator? And well, you have to learn how to use it on the on the dime. You yeah. know, it sucked. It sucked. So you know, here's the thing. Go one year before that, and I, I, I didn't even know how to use Illustrator per se. All I had was pen and ink. I still made something with that. I was doing snowboard graphics where I lived in Bend, Oregon. But here's what I'm getting at. I leave – I get out of high school at 17. I do two years of community college in my little hometown of Northern Michigan. I get an associate's degree. It teaches me to turn the machine on, the basic technology for 1991, you know, of like how to print and how to build stuff. And I think it was freehand at the time and PageMaker and all these little basic graphic. But I could make a poster for friends and stuff. I learned how to use it. And then I go west to Oregon. I go to Bend with my buddies because we're going to be snowboarders. We're 19. Our lives are just starting. We're going to Bend because it's kind of comparable to the town I grew up, Traverse City, Michigan. It's kind of like 30,000 people, 30,000. I know Bend's different now. Yeah, well, you so, went there before. It was cool. Well, it's we're going tomorrow for the for the day and we'll be lost and we'll see all the new stuff and all the houses that just people use only in the, in the, in the, in the summers or only in the winters and all these weird quips from my local buddies who are like... It's a lot different than when you, of course it's been 25 years since I lived there. Of course it's going to be different. You know, so is Portland. I mean, fuck the place is on fire some nights, whatever. But, um, we went there and it was like, there was no pursuit to go get a big job. It was just enough for me to be like, I am being creative and I have a pizza job. Now check it out. That's enough. Next year. I am being creative and I'm getting a little bit of freelance and I have a pizza job. But at some point, you just get up past that and it was like, wow, this year, 96, I had my computer after going up to the summer of 96. I come back in the fall of 96 and uh, I have a computer. I've worked freelance all winter long. No pizza job now. See? So now I'm, Moving one, up. I'm one little step up. So, okay, you do that a couple years. You're getting comfortable. I never had 3000 bucks in the bank ever. I remember one year I had 3000 bucks. I lived off it all winter long because I knew how to, to budget, pay my rent, pay my stuff. I'm not a big drinker, not a big, you know, fighter, not a big, you know, drug, none of that shit, whatever. And, and uh, you know. We, our splurge was to come see a band up in Portland and I'd go to the, you know, go to the art supply store and get, you know, bullshit and things and stuff. Go get a couple of records at Ozone or something. And then we'd whip back down to Bend to our little simple lives. But I grew out of that real quick. But I also grew out of being kind of like, what else is out there? Because we met a couple of kids up in Portland who worked for some snowboarding companies, right? And when you talk to these guys, they'd say, oh, I went to school. Where'd you go to school? And I'd say, well, I'm I only did an associate's degree. And then suddenly you have this big hole in you where you're like, oh, I don't have this big degree. Pressure systems. So I go back to school in, in, in Minneapolis. Um, I went and you know looked all over the Midwest. I had my machine. So I have all my tools. But I'm out here being this sort of Peter Pan snowboarder kid, you know, with all these guys. But I have ambition to go get, well, a job. But I thought you have to get a big degree. So I go back home. I get into this awesome art school in Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I got a big scholarship. I couldn't have paid for it otherwise. I get in there. I get my two years done. And then I get my first job, 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 right? I mean, there was one job before that, which was, you know, listen, I've trimmed trees for a whole summer in Northern Michigan. I've washed dishes. I've worked at a factory for a summer. You know, one time the old guy's back, it was for manpower. The old guy that we were just, we were just like following this old guy around. He couldn't lift 
these these heavy molds anymore. What you do is you get it on a little thing that goes up about an inch. You put a little forklift, it lifts it up, and you move this mold. Mm -hmm. You know these big molds that stamp out. Maybe they make this little cap, or they make this little button. They make something. Something spits out of this thing at this big factory. This old guy was sixty three years old, and he had two years to go, and he couldn't even bend over. So we are his muscle. <laughs> Me and my buddy follow this guy around. And he goes, pick that up, bend over, and pick them. We do. So we move these eight hundred pound molds. He learned how to use a little thing and these little levers and shit. I don't know. I did that for a summer. There's nothing romantic about that. And you get kicked around and you learn how to say thank you and you learn how to take it on the chin and all this sort of shit. So that applies to what I do now because this is all fucking gravy now. I mean, gravy. But I get done with school and 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 like now it's my chance to get a jobity job job. And I'm in Minneapolis in this big city and they're offering me jobs at like agencies, 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 agencies. Based on your portfolio? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Um, my age, I was 27 years old. I guess my talent, whatever. But they also saw something in me that I was, you know, versatile or whatever. I don't know. But I threw it away. And I went and took a job at a snowboarding magazine out in Southern California because those are my friends. I yeah. met them all up on Mount Hood. I met them in the summers. I worked I worked a summer up in Hood uh, as, a, as a hospital driver because I didn't drink. And what that meant was when a kid would... Uh, you know, case himself off the big kicker and then hit his lip or something with his knee, I'd take him down to Gresham and we'd take him to an urgent care and he'd get him all fixed up. Or we'd get him off the damn, you know, pick him up at the airport, get him up there. The kids are right up on the glacier. No one's wearing sunscreen. Little Billy from New Jersey's never been anywhere on a glacier. He wakes up the next morning, his face is like the size of this microphone. You know, his fucking lips are like this microphone because he's all fucking sunburnt, right? So I got to drive him down and you got to put him on an IV and a whatever. And I'm sitting in the waiting room. So I would drop him off in Gresham and I would go downtown and go to Reading Frenzy, go to the Powell's, go to Ozone Records, get a couple little items of nastiness and get my back, my ass back up to the summer. So I was a hospital driver. Right. You know, just because everyone else was hammered when they would wake up because they would drink the night before. Yeah. I've had that job. Well, those characters I met that summer, I was suddenly working for them and working with them. Was it a glorious job? There's no money to be made in a snowboarding magazine, but it was a cool job because I got to give back to this magazine I read, Snowboarder, all these years growing up. You know, where I lived in Bend. Um, I hope this is making sense, everybody who's listening to this bullshit. I'm so, I apologize. I look right to the camera. I'm sorry. You know, hour seven of 19 starts now. Buckle mm -hmm. up. Uh, you know, um, what's important is they dangled the big cool one in front of me. And what it, frankly, what it meant is you're going to be making coffee ads and car ads. There's nothing wrong with that. But these dudes had their, their shirts tucked in. I don't want to tuck my shirt in. Yeah. You know, and it was like, I'll get to that level at some point, but I'm not ready just to be immersed in that now because I saw other friends in Minneapolis who were. They're making lots of money and they don't like their jobs. Yeah. So I went and got a job where I liked it, but I'm down in Southern California and it's beautiful people and there's bronzed surfers and dipshits and women worrying about their fat on their elbows and other stupid vain things that we saw down there. And then I'm there. And I'm hanging with a couple of dipshits, Evan Rose and my buddy, you know, Pat Bridges, who are not these Duke Kahuna surf donkeys or whatever. They're just dudes from whatever, from snowboarding. And we made it our own for a couple of years. I did that for two years. I get back up to Portland. I get my first studio job at a place called Cinco. And I get to work on Nixon watches, Gravis shoes, Helly Hansen, Nike, Adidas, lots of cool stuff at the Cinco design. But that only lasted about two years. 
I did my time with him and I went on my own in 2000, I think it was 2004. And my first year I got out on my own, I was making 65,000 bucks a year at Cinco. And I got to tell you, that's a shit whack of money to a guy who's, you know, I was you know, 29 years old mm-hmm. or whatever it was. I was paying off my credit cards. I, you paid, I paid off nothing when I lived in Southern California. So I come from Minneapolis with debt. I go to Southern California. I have more debt when I get back to, there's no way to make it. The, the rent you pay, you have to, you have to get a, a pass to get on the uh, 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 toll roads. You have to, there's just no way. The system is just, I, got, I needed a car to go put, it, put that motherfucker at 88 miles an hour and drive with all the other sink or swim on these, you know, these big 405s and 5s. I get back to Portland. I cut everything in half. Suddenly I'm driving 44 miles an hour. Suddenly I'm not commuting at all. I get to walk down Hawthorne to my job. That's cool. Now check this shit out. I make a little more money before I know it. I'm paying off my credit card. I'm paying off some of my school loans. So then I go on my own. Remember that 65? My fr- I'm not trying to brag here, but my first year out on my own, I broke 200. Damn. So it means I went three times. And then you do that and you go, I think it was one, I don't know, maybe it was like 202 or something crazy. I would have been happy if I broke 65 on my own. See what I'm getting at? Like, I know how to make 65 grand work. I knew how to make 15 grand work from a summer up in Alaska. You you started to be able to dictate how much people had to pay you instead of getting a paycheck from a company. Of course. Well, I mean, here's what happens. When you get on your own, it's not about you – know, you go into that awesome agency, Cinco. They're, 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 you go in based on titles and you go in based on ability. And, you know, I think I was a, a designer. So in the hierarchy of things, there might have been junior designers under me, maybe interns. But then up above me is like a creative director. Then you go, I don't know, there's other titles. I've never really even had those titles. Um, before you know it, I'm staying till midnight. How come all the other fucks aren't staying till midnight? No, because my Midwestern commitment to a project just it, it overrides everything. And if it's not done, I'll stay. Now, the owner's sitting there. He makes a mountain of money. And I'm sitting there and I make 65. I'm not making any more. I'm staying there till midnight too. Yeah. That's when I went on my own. So well, now when I go on my own, I have the ability to say yes all the time. I couldn't really say yes as much when I'm you know, having to go in from sometimes 9 in the morning or 10 o'clock, play ping pong all afternoon, then stay till midnight. It was just weird, right? When I'm on my own, I don't have to wear pants anymore. We can work whatever hour we want. I said yes to everything. And then when you get a good name, that goes a little bigger. Before I know it, I have retainer clients, coal uh, headwear up in Seattle, beanies and goodies and stuff, union binding company, uh, snowboard binding and stuff. This is 2004, 2005. Snowboard magazine. We started a new snowboarding magazine. I got a monthly you know, chunk from that. Before I know it, I'm getting ahead. But the coolest part, I'm working my own hours. I'm working with all my buddies. And I am paying shit off. So, you know. And there's no HR department. None of that. So, you know, we have to police ourselves. But you're working with your friends. Okay, now that's just the successful side. What about the side where there's no money? I could still say yes to some of that shit too. And the fun part about that is some of that stuff paid off in gigantic gains later on. Might might only be cred or a little tiny band gave me a shot and then they became a really something. Just how about not even giant? 
just they could pay me. I'm still doing those jobs to this day, yeah. right? So, you know, um, when you look back at all this mess, you know, I get excited here because this thing's poised to just, you know, uh, it just looks tight in here. You have good craft. You understand how to make a production, you know? You know. And when people come to my shop now, it's like, I hope that I have them on the same kind of like on their toes, like, wait a second, I got to look at the guy. Jesus Christ, he's got the face of a catcher's mitt. You know, whatever, they're looking at me, you know, and then they're looking at the book and they're looking at the work and they're like, but damn, I could take my pants off with them. You know, we can hang out here because you have to understand my buddies would come from Seattle and we would come down and we would do like, we don't need to work on this shit for a month. We'll do it over a weekend. Yeah. Work it on the weekend. You work with me this weekend right now, you get the next seven weekends off. Go. And that, we chain ourselves to the desk and we would knock it out. That's great. That's the crazy thing about having a, a creative position though. You can't you can't rush that sometimes. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. Like you could you could make the next best thing for uh, Pepsi in 90 seconds, mm -hmm. or it could take you six months. Like you have no way of preparing mm -hmm. amount of time, right? Like how many times do you do you go through a thousand iterations of something before you're like, oh, I finally found it? I'm glad you know the iterations were. That's cool. You understand all this shit. It's, it, I'm excited about that. People, I get in front of people sometimes, and they're like, so what do you do? And it's like, come on, man. You know, okay, well, sometimes you hit it in five, a little. You know, for everyone listening, what an iteration is: you start with a logo, you make a little change, you make another. Okay, well, right. So, what if it takes a thousand? Too bad. Too bad. It took a thousand. See what I'm getting at? Yeah. Like. You know, people will put limits and say, I'm only going to do 10. And I'm going to show you two logos. And if you don't like it, I'll go to, you know, that's great and all until you don't get the paycheck, asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want the paycheck. I'm paying this off. You know, my little sister, I bought her, I bought her a house on, on mill and a hundredth. Now, I know that sounds tough, but I, I cut a check for $405,000 and bought a house. Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know you were allowed to. I thought you have to get in line. We did. We got in line. You know what happened when we got in line? She got overbid. Yeah. You know what happened when we got in line? Oh, we're getting this loan, waiting for this loan. Your credit does this. Your, my credit's fucking tight, man. My credit's tight. But I don't look that part. Yeah. But when we went and took a fucking shoebox full of cash and said, can we just buy the thing with cash? Guess what? We got the house at a fair price. You didn't have to wait to pay, pay you know, Peter to pay, Paul to pay, whatever the fuck, whatever. No, we just got it. Now, I'm not trying to brag. After that, I go get a loan on my terms. I shop it. I didn't have to be in the middle of trying to get this house like every other person in the world is. That's what I got myself to. That ability to just, now, I could just sit on it. I can go help my little sis. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. This afternoon, I'm helping her get a car. So, you know, the success for me is not the bank account. The success for me is just being able to take care of those around me and make their lives easier. Yeah. Why do I get to get ahead? Because I made a couple good decisions or bad decisions, or why do I am the one that gets to enjoy this padding, you know, in, in the account? Well, I watched my dad, you know. Oh, by the way, he died, you know, nine years ago. We are saving a lot on groceries. You know, he, you know, after, after, uh, you know, he died, it's like, I watched him up to that point, not make a lot and do a lot with it. Yeah. So I could sit on this shit and just watch it basically get nothing in return over at Wells Fargo, or I could just go put it to use around me. 
right? And and uh, and that's where the conversation's going. It's like I'm so privileged to get ahead, but the very coolest part about this, you know, how do you explain this to you know everyone? Whatever, I get to do it with my friends. I get to do it making a poster for Tenacious D. I get to do it making uh, uh, stickers for Chris Stapleton. <laughs> Those are big acts. Yeah. But what about when your sister buddies? That might be a couple hundred bucks. Or the other one might be five grand, but who gives a shit? It all adds up. And I just love um, I love what I've gotten away with. Right? Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good position you've gotten yourself into. But there, there are so many factors that go into it. I mean, obviously, you have a knack for figuring out what you like and what other people like because design is so many things at one time like it's emotional yeah, it's right, um right. there's a lot of emotion wrapped around it and there's color theory and uh, the way an edge is i mean for example like apple everything's rounded there's no hard edges yeah. anywhere and that's it, that's a, a decision that they've made for many, many years. And it just makes things softer and it makes yeah. things more engaging. Well, it's funny you say that because in the car, I have a, a sample from, um, I have a bunch of iPhone cases and just cell phone cases from a company that goes the other way, chamfered edges, mm -hmm. a little more bionic. It looks like something like, you ever seen Otter? You know, Otter uh, Otterbox? Yeah, yeah, Otterbox. Yeah. You can drop the sandwich, you know, it's like a size of a shoebox, you can yeah. drop it off a cliff. It's not quite that, but it's someone that's just kind of saying, hey, we're tired of the same old, same old. Why couldn't this thing just have a little bit of this? And what that means is when you look at them on Amazon or their own cool website, I can't quite say their name because they haven't quite signed the contract, but that's refreshing to me. Yeah. They sent me a shoebox of the samples. I'm going to make some DDC ones, right? It's not quite this. Like, I'm nervous because, man, this to me is also a status symbol for myself to be like, I worked hard to get those products. I believe in those products. They, you know, they're built to die after one year and they got to get the new model. But no, this thing's three years old. It's still kicking ass. You know, like, I trust my life with my Apple machines, my Apple monitors, my Apple junk, my Apple things, the pod, the whatever. I remember when I had none of it. I had to do a lot. And I still did a lot. But it was only a pencil and paper. Now I have all these tools. You you will never hear me complaining about prices of software, prices of things, prices of stuff. Uh, it's a privilege that kick-ass laptop you have. You got the cool dark one with the edge and the cool thing. It's a privilege to have that. You know, I know that. You know that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I'm gonna go bitch about the round edge versus the sharp edge, or whatever. Like, you know, I embrace those design decisions because they really thought them through. So now there's something that's gonna be a little bit different. Like not everyone wants that Apple product. Yeah. And then we can go after a little bit of that. That's interesting to me, you know, and, and you know, uh, you know, I just remember being that kid that didn't have it. And, and uh, yeah, you know, like I have the ear of some of the Adobe people now um, because like you said, there's so much to design. What about the shit that actually makes you design? You know, the, yeah. the stuff like, how would it take to make this cool microphone? And when I touch it, it sounds real good. Good luck editing that stuff out later on. Anyway, you know, you know, who, someone designed every little clip and clap and thing and smidge and smadge of this. That's amazing to me. When you see the software, what's so interesting is when I met all these dudes from India, Right. And they bring him into the room and there's one handler there. And she says to me, hey, on a cultural level, and I know you're a big gorilla, but just don't grab him. Don't, <laughs> no high-fiving. Yeah. No, 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 no slapping of the ass or whatever. Don't touch him. You know? And I'm like, what's left? You know, whatever, you know? And she's like, just, 
gentle. Because Aaron, when people meet these guys, they're complaining to them right away. My status bar in my Photoshop does this. Uh. Oh, there's something over there. Why doesn't this thing click over this? Like, fuck it. They're taking notes. And I met them. And all I could say to all of them was like, hey, you guys, thank you so much. I have worked a professional life. Like, when was the last time you went to your insurance agent and really looked at what he or she or they, whatever, like just looked at their desk. Their desk is not as cool as this desk. I'm going to tell you right now. There's a lot of buttons over here and shit I want to touch. There's candles I want to get burnt on. I'm going to be stealing some liquor. There's a lot of fun things here. Look at your insurance guy. It's just death. Mm -hmm. And they work all day on that. You bet your ass they leave at 4.59. You have to pry me out of that, my shop, because it is everything I've ever wanted. And yet... I meet these illustrator guys, and my only instinct is just to stop and say, fucking thank you. Mm -hmm. By the end of that bullshit, we're bullshitting, one of the dudes, Anubab, is basically on my lap. Like, we're <laughs> holding hands, we're kissing, we're <laughs> hugging, we're friends. I'll be friends with those guys the rest of my life. Yeah. To this day, one of the women still writes me and says, hey, have you seen this, this feature? Yeah, yeah, how you doing? Because they make the stuff that I get to make my life with. Say thanks. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a pretty important suite of apps, and I didn't get into everything until right around they uh, switched to Creative Cloud because mm. I couldn't afford it before that. It was yeah. two three thousand dollars per app, and then when they released everything for fifty bucks a month, I just got on Lynda.com and taught myself how to do everything. Yeah, yeah right, totally. Yep. And so that completely changed I do, all I do of it. Uh, Skillshare videos, which is like a competitor with the, the Linda. I, I did a Linda video a while ago too, but did you? just a little 15 minute doodad, but um, it went pretty big for him. Um, went a little too big for my liking. You know, it's like, if it goes that big, you got, there's gotta be a paycheck involved. Well, there wasn't, but you know, nice people. Mm. Um, you're right. You can go on there and you know, listen, there were times where I had to weigh the difference. Shit, do I get this and then pirate that? That's a different time, you know, yeah. before internet was on everything that the idea is that you, you can't even dial in with the shit if you don't have certain connections and things now. Well, yeah, people are super pissed because they're like subscription based. I, I got to pay $50 a month and get updates and all this kind of stuff. And it made it accessible for people like me. And oh. I didn't know how to use any of so that, that stuff that, 10 that's, years ago. That's the right angle to look at it. I appreciate that because I get poopy with it too, you know, um, where I kind of do this thing where I kind of go. Oh man, I'm getting towards the end of it. Starting to remind me, I work for Adobe. I, I I go do their big Adobe Max conference every year and fun shit, and I get to be on these videos and they come up and film crew and I, I, commercials and just all this awesome shit. I get a copy through that, right? But I'll also finagle a copy for my brother-in-law, just so he can have one to play with, you know. Yeah. And it's like I have to pay for that sometimes, and I don't really care. But it's like. I know what it's like to pay eleven hundred bucks for my illustrator in I think it was I think it was two thousand seven, you know? I had to have it. But I had you know, a series of these dupe you know, you remember those things, these, you know, image disc things that, you know, it was yeah. like a DVD and you put that in your thing and then you get the pirated copy off of it and you got a little number written on it from your friend. We did that for years and years and years. Um, it was a privilege to me to get myself to a point where it was just an operating expense. You know, by the way, AT&T doesn't give me this phone for free every month. You know what I mean? I have to yeah. pay for it. No, you, know, you just learn how to budget these things in. But I think that's the right angle. It's like, damn, I get to use this stuff. Because, you know, people lament it. And then it starts to discourage them. And then they're not getting creative. By the way, you can be just as creative on a piece of your, you know, on, on your field notes. 
Yeah. By the way, everybody, while we're all listening, fieldnotesbrand.com <laughs> out, uh, out of Chicago and out of Portland, Oregon. Let me get a word in here, will you let me? Okay. And uh, they're always on and you come to fieldnotesbrand.com. <laughs> you know, like when I made those in the backyard, um, in my basement uh, in 2004, that is just to make some for my friends, you know? And then I give it to the hands of Jim Kudal, my buddy in Chicago, and it became a company. Just like that. He built a website, built a thing. Now we have all these employees and all this other kind of shit. And there's like adults running it in Chicago. And I still don't even know how to talk about it. It's still just like a fun little hustle for me to be like, get some of these. They're $9.95. They're $12.95. They're $14.95. They're never going to be $19.95. You know, whatever. I mean, it's like, like it, it's still fun to me that like if they were just a couple shoeboxes filled in my, you know, in my basement with me, that was pretty fun. But now it's a, some of our runs would fill this room. You know, it's well, it's cool. it's a different type of brain. Like your brain is the one that creates everything and doesn't give a shit about the money. And somebody else who has a different type of brain, that insurance person with the the, yeah, yeah. you know, they're the ones. It's so weird how humans can be so different because you need all the different types of people yeah. to make things happen. There's no one person who just does you know, everything. In the same respect, in the same respect, you know, before I just shit all over the insurance agency, you know, uh, uh, industry. No, 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 no. You know, what a what a cool way to spend a Sunday here, you know, recording stuff with friends and, you know, some provocateurs you've had on here also mm -hmm. and some friends who are mired in superstition and, you know, whatever. Okay, well, um, cool. And the craft is good and the place is cool. You know, it's like my job when I go into the insurance person is to just level with them. And then be a good citizen. Answer, you know, don't make it hard on them. Don't bellyache the cost. Don't get mad. You know, this afternoon, we're going to go do one of the ugliest things ever. Buy a new car. And why can't it be like the rounded edges on your phone? <laughs> it could be. Mm -hmm. And you walk out of there high-fiving, hugging some guy you just met. No, <laughs> I know what's going to be happening. I'm going to be going, we're going over to Dick Hanna now. Back off. We're screaming <laughs> at people in some stupid lot in yeah. thousand-degree heat. I know it's going to happen because you're going to try to sell us the, you know, the the whatever package. It's already happening, you know, and um, why couldn't it be that? So when you, you know, it's like when I go into that insurance agency, first things first, I might be looking at their stuff and going, damn, everything is beige. You know, my desk has a lot of color. This desk is pretty nice. What are these things? You know, versus I want to get out of here as fast as I can. Imagine working your whole life in that office. Yeah, no, I think about that all the time when I go So I just anywhere. try to be a good citizen and be yeah. like, get me in, get me out. I won't, like I went to the DEQ uh, last week. The guy recognizes my van. He goes, hey, I like some graphic design. Hey, fuck, man, wait, wait. I dig around some stickers and stuff. And we, there was no one in the line at the DEQ, which was interesting because usually it's, you know, 19 cars. Oh, yeah. So we just sat and talked for like 10 minutes. And I was like, man, what is your job like here? And he's like, do you know how mean people are, man? They don't want to be here. And I'm just like, I know, man. Well, I hope I was nice. He was like, oh, drop me, whatever. You know, he knew some of my shit. He saw something, TED Talk or something. You know, it was just that moment of like, even when it's busy, I know, I know to be good to the person that's getting shit on. You know, it's like when we would go print things. And you're in a print, you know, something downtown, like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe um, up by like Montgomery Park, there was this one print, you know, uh, printing plant over there. And it's like, it's just a normal thing. It's very stressful. And you're under the gun. You have this tiny little window to do a press check to see if your stuff looks right. 
and you go in there and there's an operator and there's things and there's, if you need a change, you just know it's going to piss off that print tech who's going to have to go make that change. But, you know, say please, say thank you, bring them a pizza, get them on your side and get the fucking thing done. And don't go in there like you own the place, start snapping your fingers, I need this, I need that. I've watched that happen. Scared the hell out of me because, you know, my dad just used to just sort of espouse this thing where you just say, Aaron, you got to be good to the UPS guy. And then you're, you know, the UP, you know, USPS gal who comes by, you got to be good to those people because that job is just as valid as whatever you're doing. Or remember, you had pizza jobs for years. Those jobs were bullshit. I'm, I actually kind of miss them, but they were bullshit, you know, and they're looking at you in a different light, you know, and they were still respectful when they came into your pizza job. So it's an interesting thing. It's like you get in these weird little positions where you can kind of big league somebody. And I just don't, I just don't, I just try not to uh, uh, indulge in that. Like this afternoon's going to be really tough. I just want to wreck, I want to go into this dealer and be like, can this one just be cool? <laughs> you know, I know, you know, Steve, untuck your shirt. <laughs> you, to talk to the manager. Just stay out of her freaking face. Just yeah. let, him get, let him get the thing. You know, yeah. whatever. I don't know if they'll do with that. <laughs> no, the reason that you have that perspective is because you had to do it. Yeah. I think... I think yeah. everyone, it's kind of like, uh, I think it's Israel where you have to, Oh, everyone's got their, yeah. you have to join the military yeah, yeah. when you're 18 because they want every single citizen to understand what that oh, is oh like. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I'm not saying I'm a proponent for that, but I'm saying I know what you mean. I know every what you single mean. person should have to work at McDonald's or fucking bag groceries at Fred Meyer or, you know, park cars at a valet. Like everybody should have a normal job at some point because it makes you appreciate the next step. And that's what builds ambition yeah. and drive to do something else and not just be a piece of shit. It just builds empathy, the idea that, like, I remember getting kicked around as a pizza delivery driver. I remember being kicked around as, you know, by the way, you know, there's a hierarchy in everything you do. And I just was so used to being the lowest rung. <laughs> when you're on a train and you're the dishwasher, there's nothing. Maybe the gift shop girl. Maybe. <laughs> but just, just for a token. Okay, you get to be number 17. I'll be 18 on the list, and there's nothing past me, and there's other 16 people ahead of us. Okay, whatever. You know, the idea was, who gives a shit? Yeah. Let's all work together and get this damn thing done. And, uh, oh, that's kind of like socialism. Anyway, I love when these people go crazy. And my, you know, some stupid uncle, well, you know, we're all turned. Don't call the fire department. Yeah. Don't be calling that uh, ambulance, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, it just taught me a lesson of like to be gracious for where every little spot you're at, you know, because it's weird when you are at the number one or two slot of that 18 and you didn't see it coming and suddenly you're there. It takes an extra little sense to be able to, to you know, um, thank the guy who's, uh, you know, doing the AV. Yeah. Back. yeah. Thank the print guy, you know, the printing press operator. Go thank him and just say, hey, man, you got me over the edge. Sorry, I, you know, I had to get that thing pushed into this range. And he's like, I got you. He'll remember that next time versus go change that thing now. Mm -hmm. I, I've watched that. I, you know, um, um, unfairly, I've had people say to me, hey, you got to be really nice to the print guys. And it's like, don't you just watch how I handle these guys. I watched my dad, who was a, you know, a, a tool salesman. So, Remember those big molds I was talking about? Mm -hmm. My dad would sell the little uh, diamond-tipped little cutters and end mills and things to grind that metal down, build little parts and carbides and pieces and bullshits that get, get tacked into this mold. Piece of something comes in, it goes, 
and makes a little clip that goes on our little VWs, right? Yeah. That's what my dad sold the tooling for this stuff to, you know, to, to, you know, tune these things up. So that stuff would get dull and then he would sell more of it, right? And that's what my dad did. But I watched my dad roll into a tool shop. So, you know, the idea that when you, you know, we got to blur this out, but, you know, here's what the tool shop really looks like. And it's like, this is all the guys that actually make the damn thing work. Mm -hmm. And there's one or two people that own the place up in the front. And my dad would go in and he would kick ass in that 95%, shaking hands, kissing babies, remembering names of these guys. No one ever went back there. And then when he would go up to the front and he has to go and like do the deal and sign the things and sell the thing to the guy, he just, he was equal to every one of them. And he was good to every one of them. And then he would go do the business and he'd come back in and he would, you know, the thing is like when my dad died, no one was coming from the front of the house. You know what I mean? These owners and things. I, I met it. I knew a couple of the guys, but there were a couple of these dudes that are the size of me and you combined, a goddamn wall, a mountain of a man crying at my dad's funeral because, you know, my dad, when the guy was having a hard go, my dad knew. Mm -hmm. And he would leave 10 bucks on his lathe and he'd say, hey, it's a little something from, from Jim Draplin. We got you. You know, buy lunch. We got you. That's what I saw my dad do. Now, listen, when, however that translates that into my life, you know, when the USPS fucks up our mail once a week, I just know better than to go after Fong, the guy that comes back. There. I've known him for five years now. He's a brother. We're hugging and does your family and all this shit. It can be like that, you know. But until that FedEx guy comes and kicks that thing, you know, he, he tried out for the Seahawks as a punter. He didn't get the job. And now he's just <laughs> kicking boxes over our fence. That motherfucker, you better watch your back. I'm talking to you. Right okay, yeah. well, you know, yeah. Speaking of FedEx and their logo, yeah. what, what, are, what are some other things that uh, are highly respected in your opinion of no. just because with the FedEx logo, who, whoever created that, I forget who it is, they conveniently put the little yeah. arrow inside there just by use of the font. Yeah. And so that's considered like one of the most uh, iconic fonts or uh, yeah. logos ever created. Yeah, I, I, I would say in that case, that's a nice bit of geometry to work with. What if FedEx was all about you shipping shit to them? It wouldn't have worked as yeah. well. You know what I mean? It, it yeah. just wouldn't have worked as well. So, you know, you, you take advantage of the little moments you can take advantage of, and then you, 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 you dial it up, and then you celebrate that. Well, I would challenge that if you took that FedEx and just kerned it out, a little, tracked it out a little bit more so it wasn't quite up against that, you know, that E up against that X, like up against that whatever E or whatever, that D or whatever, it would still be like, wait a second, they were on time, it was a for a fair price, and they didn't fuck my package up. That's enough for me. You know what I'm saying? It's like you could just take Helvetica Bold, FedEx. After a while, it's going to mean what their experiences they give it to you. Listen, the scary part about this, like you open up your phone, you know, you open up your phone, and you look at all the little, the little logos, I would just kind of say the apps that have been around the longest probably have pretty good logos. Because it has to be that thing that you start your day with, click, you know, and you start your day and you trust that process. You know, now, what's the what's the app I start my morning with? Probably my Wells Fargo. Because I go and look at 
what my IRAs are doing. I look at, oh, did that check clear, blah, blah, blah. It just says Wells Fargo on red, but it's kind of their thing for a lot of years. It could just be a, a yellow dot on red and it would still mean to me the security of my finances or whatever the hell, or that they're ripping us off or some insurance, you know, whatever the <laughs> fuck they're doing, these Wells Fargo people. Anyway, you know, um, branding is a weird thing and it's like, you know, what hurts is when you can tell it was phoned in. We were talking about that, but FedEx was beautifully crafted, you know, and it just, by the way, it works from a mile away and it works when you're standing right there looking at your package or looking at the side of the truck. And you know that the same thought there, you, you know, we see the trains out here. Go look at a train from a mile away and you can read, oh, Burlington Northern, oh, Canadian, da, da, da. oh, I can read that. That's graphic design. That's mm -hmm. it. You know, <clears throat> so... Isn't it funny that they had to design it that way for the function of being able to read these things as they're going a mile away or the big numbers that tell you what number that car was and it stops or whatever. That's all graphic design. So what, when it works against you, I don't have any, I don't have, cause I, I, I just get past those real quick when it works against me. I get past, I just, I just like, I celebrate the ones that, do, that work well, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, this app, you know, like I've been going to the doc, you know, just getting basic checkups and some some other shit, and I had to get under their app. I don't care what the logo is. When I open that some bitch up, I am on the edge. I'm on death's door until I read this. Like, oh, my numbers were this, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. like that thing, that experience. They better put a mountain of cash into that experience because that's some of the scariest data you're. Well, that shit's easy, you know. Me worrying about uh, 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 whether or not a tweet was read, pff, it doesn't matter. But I'm reading about, you know, what the hell my, uh, the, the some number is on my rehubulator. Well, then it's scary. You know, that experience better be like really beautiful. So, you know, like when I, when I sit with my doc, like we talk about the logo of the place a lot more than we talk about all the nightmare going on inside of me because I was just thankful that their process is really nice, that it doesn't scare you with the way they talk to you. That's all design, you know? Yeah. And the, st the reason I appreciate your stuff so much is because it's so simple. And I love things that are simple. They, that's an important aspect of good design, in my opinion, is that a three-year-old can understand it. Yeah. It's cool no. outside. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think that's why a majority of the best stuff ever created is so simple. Yeah. Which in some ways makes people think it's easy, but it's not. No. Well, look at sports, you know, look at um, the things that people gravitate towards, you know, like, uh, and then look when it gets away from them. You know, and it's like, oh, man, there's just too much happening on that. You know, it's like last summer I did a um, a mural that for, for Danner Boots mm -hmm. that got to go all over the Timber Stadium. You know, this big mural and it was inside the Timber Stadium and they put it up and a, a friend of mine, Jeff Canham, got to do the mural. My buddy Jason Murray got to do the video of shooting the whole pr production and then we're all there and it's like that mural's up for a long time inside that, you know, Timber Spark. I don't know shit. I don't know shit about soccer. I mean, nothing. It's, you know, the brand colors around that, that, that timber logo is so, you know, the timbers logo, it's just, it could just be a yellow dot on green. It's the spirit when you go in there, it's all consistent. It's well done. You expect that from a big, not even that big of a team, but, you know, you go up to the Sounders, same deal. Good craft, you know, good craft. Now, you go out to the Pickles. It's all over the place, but man, it's fun to go see a pickle show. I'll bet. Like we drove by the other night because my you know, my sister lives out that way. We drove by. I'm like, fuck, we gotta go see the pickles this summer. I just want to go have popcorn, watch some baseball. You know, I don't know, see some shit go down. You know, I want to go. I don't care what it costs. What twenty, twelve, fifteen, twenty bucks to go see the pickles? Yeah, I'm gonna get a pickles hat. 
They, they did a good job. Like a little kid gets to go there and get a pennant or get a, a button or get a cool hat or cool jersey or something. Done. Like, I'm cool with that. Like, that's why, like, when we go to that Bob Dylan tomorrow night, I'll be lurking around that fucking booth, that merch booth, because, you know, make something memorable. You can take a souvenir I get the home. feeling his merch booth is going to suck. I got me too. I'll be watching. Tenacious D was great. You see, I'm getting that, like, when you go to that Chris Stapleton, those guys know their shit. Yeah. They got shot glasses. They got socks. They got American flag shit. They got stuff with camo. They got shit with, you know, indie looking shit. It's pretty cool. You know, all this kind of like wayward rambler looking shit. They know they're, they got all kinds. I found something I liked. They got me, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to wear a tenacious D, you know, it says tenacious and it's got a dick head on it, you know, with the D. Yeah. <laughs> High art. I mean, I get it's very intellectual. It's very over my head. But it's fucking fun, man. You know, it's like really <laughs> yeah. stupid and well done. And, you know, they're just, it's just like people are like, well, how was the show? Two hours of dick jokes. It was fun, man. You know, I was like 12 years old again. Man. Yeah, dude. But it was fun. Yeah. Was four, I'm 48 laughing. And every little smirk from that Jack Black, it is just the way that fucker. So we're in the backstage and Lee and I are, you know, passes on and things. And we're, you know. We're employees of the thing because I did the, the, the PDX Live logo for the thing. And I did the posters and I did the blah, blah, blah. And we see Jack. Everyone sees Jack come in. Just the way that he prances to get back to his backstage, <laughs> yeah, it looks like Jack Black. You know, it was it was great. But Yeah, he's one of a kind for sure. You know, like just that, like he as an icon, he's designed this for himself to be comfortable. The way he turned the corner, he kicked his foot out and turned it a 90 degree little kick. You know you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like, we just laughed. I looked at Lee and I said, of course, who else gets to do it? And like, look like a little thespian like that. It was really beautiful, a little, little funny moment. And then you think about, there's the scary side. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone wants to shake your hand. Everyone wants to grab at you. Mm-hmm. And see, that's part of the curiosity the curious side of like wanting to go see Bob Dylan tomorrow night. Think of what he was like when he was young. Like if you go 20 years back on me, I'm 28 then. By the year, by the, by the time Bob Dylan was 28, he, he had already experienced, you know, by the time the Beatles were 28, they'd experienced. They did everything by the time they were 30. Oh my God. I mean, it's weird. Right. And then they have to kind of calm down from that. Okay. Like, I'm curious to see what Bob Dylan even, you know, what the whole thing even looks like. I don't think you're, I don't think you're a regular person anymore. You can't be that disconnected from regular humans. You just, that would change you. It would be so weird. I wonder, you know, and and we saw it 10 years ago at the Schnitz and it was very discombobulated. I mean, it was just, I didn't know the songs. I mean, I have all the records, but they mix them up pretty big. So what we did was we looked at the set list. Because we've just been listening to that little uh, Spotify set, uh, uh-huh. uh, little little playlist thing. Because it's like at least we'll know what songs they're murdering. Yeah. You know, because he's playing stuff off his new record, a couple of different you know deep cuts, and a couple of kind of hits. Okay, whatever. And I just want to go. I, I don't care what he plays. It's just it's like going to the Grand Canyon. You just go and pay respects to yeah. one of these. You know, he's still he's eighty one years old, still doing this thing. Yeah. The same thing goes for me with uh, Mick Cartney. I'd love to see him before oh, he dies. Have you seen it? I haven't seen him. I haven't. I. I have to tell you, he's 80 years old. He's just as he's still putting out records. He's still, you know, uh, duets and new cool things. And have you seen Mick Jagger? He's still doing all is he his 80? Mick. He's 78, yeah. I think, but he's like running up and down the stage. I know. It's I mean, wild. this is this is 
how you suspend that. Do you, you know, if you said you're you know, coming up on 40, mm-hmm. go back to when you were 10. Remember meeting a 40 year old? They were fucking old. Mm-hmm. It's even changed in a couple generations with us where it's like, those 78 year olds, I mean, first of all, his hair's probably died. Who knows? He's got damn Mick Jagger. He's just like a piece of beef jerky up there running around. He's beautiful. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's like, um, I just want to bite his leg. He's just so tall, whatever. But it's like, take another 78 year old that we grew up around. My my grandma, dude. Old, like, oh, yeah. hobbled over and, you know, whatever. I, my mom is 77 and you, you, you kind of know it now, but you wouldn't know it. Yeah. She's all pissed this summer because she can't go see Jackson Brown three times with her girlfriends. You know, they're going to do it next summer. You know, she's just going to wait out the cove a little bit longer. Yeah. COVID, just yeah. a little bit longer. You know, um, but it's like, wow, man, like 77-year-old going to see Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown's 76 or whatever it is, 75. Yeah, I just saw him. He performed for uh, Bob Saget's. We watched it. Did you watch that? Did you Did you get uncomfortable watching that? It was... Uh, like you shouldn't have been there? It was a little awkward. I mean... To have that many people of that status on the stage at, same, at the same time, like I love Jeff Ross. I just yeah, went and yeah. saw him at um, uh, Helium. Oh, was it cool? Oh, it was great, dude. He is fucking hilarious. And so he's he's always really good. But then Chris Rock is on there and oh, Jim yeah, Carrey. Yeah. Jim Carrey hasn't been on stage to perform stand-up in who knows how long. You get that group of people and yeah, yeah man. We watched it curious, of course. But about halfway through, my late Lee was like, "Does this feel like we shouldn't be here because it's really kind of heavy?" You yeah, know? it's like you're really at one of his like awake or something for the poor guy. But luckily, I stuck it out because I got to hear the song about the dog licking the balls at the end, and that was just beautiful. I've never heard that, <laughs> and if I even think about it, I'll start snorting milk or snorting my water with the. I just can't believe you know everybody now all that kind of shit. Yeah, fucking beautiful. Yeah, I know he was America's dad. I know he was super dirty, but his ability to come out of left field even for I don't I don't follow all that crazy shit. We've been to Helium once. Yeah, it was to see Norm Macdonald because Lee saw him in the airport. And said, Norm, hey, getting her bag. He's getting his bag. He goes, well, hey, you want to come see the show tonight? And she got the tickets. But they might have been kind of hoping she was going to show up for a little bit of, you know, hangoutism. Ah. You know, what was very interesting is after the show, we're going to go meet him. I think that's what it was. And the little guy that got her all the tickets, I show up when I'm with Lee. And the guy was just instantly uninterested in dragging us into the back <laughs> to get a handshake. I'm not kidding. We, we, we joked about that. I said, you could have been, you know, who knows what you yeah. could have been, you know? I don't yeah. even know. You could you have all these children now, you know, because, you know, what little I know about comedy, like I got to work for Mark Barron. Um, I got to be on Maron's podcast. That was a big son of a bitch right there. Nice. Go listen to that one when you're, you know, when you're, when you're when you're you know just, just down and out and need to, you know, burn an hour and a half listening to that and be crying on there and shit. Um, that was pretty big yeah. and terrifying. And uh, what little I know about that, like I just have to say, <coughs> excuse me, you know, clean that part out. Um, 10 minutes of Tracy Morgan. I don't care what's wrong with me. I will feel better. 10 minutes. Um, 10 minutes of Eddie Pepitone. Yeah. Sunsets. Son, whatever, everything looks beautiful to me. That guy is funny as shit to me. I don't know what it is. There was a new guy that we just watched. His name is Stavi or Stavos or something. Mm-hmm. Stavros or something. 
big chunky guy, Greek guy, funny as shit. I love stand up. <laughs> to to be able to go on stage and just say words for an hour and have a hundred people just dying. That it's is such an insane skill. There, I mean, the Ross would be interesting because oh, Ross is great. He brings people on stage every time and makes fun of them, of and he's fucking so witty. He'll just he'll find one little thing about like a mole on your face or something, and just turn that into did you, something. Did, did you? Oh my god! Did you see how you know Carrie brought him? Like, stop! You know, of course you saw. You watch the show. He stopped him in his tracks a couple times because that Jim Carrey, he is yeah, good, good, man. Too. I forgot. Yeah. You know, like. He's off the deep end, and I love it because he challenges the status quo. He challenges reality. He challenges what you know, what it means to be a celebrity. It challenges like does does this award mean anything? I love that shit because I cannot handle. Well, we're the best, and you're the not. You know, whatever. I cannot handle that stuff. I can't handle. Oh, we're the best this year. I get it. You get accolades, and you get to do more movies or whatever these things are. But I could give two shits less who won the Grammy or any of this kind of stuff. Cause it's never the movies I like. It's you know. no, I think that stuff used to mean more, but I don't think people care that much. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. Cause it's, it's like a handful of, of insiders deciding who's the best. That doesn't like, I'll tell you guys a little secret about graphic design and this gets a little weird, but you know, I know a couple friends who've won a Grammy for graphic design. And I was like, how the fuck did you win a Grammy for graphic packaging on a record? Okay. You know how they won it? They actually submitted their shit. There's not a lot of submissions, is what I was told by a friend in the know. He goes, yeah, they don't get a lot of stuff. And you do something cool for Black Keys, you're going to get the nod. Wait a second. What about that one year? And I love Steely Dan, but one year, like Steely Dan won the best. You know, they didn't do anything for a lot of years. And I think they came back and there's like this thing attached to their Wikipedia now that they yeah. came back and they won something. It was like beating out all these other kick ass records that year, whatever it was. You know, beating out Cole. I don't know whatever it was. Cole Player. Something big, whatever. Because it's like if no one else submitted, I don't know. There's just that, that just surprised me. It was like, oh my God, who's even picking this stuff? I mean, by the way, I love Steely Dan, but it just kind of shows to go you. It's kind of like, man. Who gives a shit about awards and stuff? You know, paperweights after a while. Well, that's that's the disappointing part about the fact that they don't release CDs anymore. I mean, I, I guess they can still do vinyl, but people don't do it as much. That used to be like one of the best parts about buying a new album. You know, you go out and buy Tool, Lateralis, yeah. or... Um, uh, Ten thousand well, days with the with the glasses. You've seen you, that, right? Yeah. Do you um are you a, are you a records a record guy or are you just all digital? Uh, I have some records. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a wall about yay. Yeah. Um, filled with records, like I don't know, three four thousand. It's crazy. It's a giant burden. It's heavy. It's weird. And we had to build these beautiful, you know, shelves and stuff. Um, it's more of like it's slowing me down. And by the way, vinyl is still a thing. It's yeah. just taking forever right now. It's hard to get. But, you know, um, Tool, their last one, I don't know what it was called, you know. Um, you know, I don't know what it was called. I, I'm, you know, I'm not all that much of a fan, but I appreciate what they do. I mean, they get people, my, my friends eat them alive when they go see them live. They love that stuff. Um, but they do beautiful packaging. Yeah. And I really appreciate them for that. Like, we just went and saw Jack White, who does incredible shit. I got to do a poster for his Seattle show. And, man, that guy can <laughs> – like, I'm not a giant fan, mm -hmm. but I'm a bigger fan after seeing him come out and kick that Moda Center's ass. I just was like, wait a second, Moda Center? The biggest thing I've ever seen at the Moda Center? We have a buddy of a buddy of a buddy of a buddy who knows Mate, Nate Mandel from the Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. And we got on some super list, and we go there, and we show up, and it's, we get 
The pass says A-A-A. That's like absolute all access, Aaron. Awesome. I don't know, whatever it was. But we just kept showing it when we go to a gate and the guy would be like, you know, and we before you know it, my feet are at the the duffel bag of Dave Grohl. Mm -hmm. He wasn't quite in there, but we were in their dressing room. Yeah. That, that's as far as it goes. Uncomfortable, you know? And then we turn around and there's Chris Novoselich from Nirvana and we nice. sat and talked with him for a while. He's a you know, big, tall galoot. I saw him back in the day. It was awesome. Um, but, you know, they, they filled the Moda Center. Filled it. And it was a big rock concert. And you know all the songs. But the first time Dave Grohl goes, I can't hear you. I was just like, this is any other rock concert. You know, I yeah. mean, I got to, you know, they have beautiful merch. They're good to their, their roadies. They're good to stuff. We got to meet Nate. You know, he's a sweet guy. I loved the band uh, Sunny Day Real Estate growing up. Yeah. You know, these are Northwest guys and whatever. We had those records when we were kids. But um, he's a fucking Foo Fighter. We were in the Foo Fight of our lives that night. And you got to see that thing filled. But it was kind of like... We don't want to hear the seven songs off your new record no one gives a shit about, okay? Just play the <laughs> fucking hits. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, people out here all this money. Yeah. That's just my mind goes, we we had to come down here. We have to stand, we to put pants on. Okay, okay, so we're down there. So I go to Jack White, and I'm like, how oh, the fuck is he going to, Jack White going to fill this thing? It was pretty filled. <laughs> and he came, came out, and he didn't play these games of um, – yeah, I don't know. You know, it's all the rock tropes. Again, you know, he just came out and kicked its ass and played, and he can play, and it was beautiful. And the drummer alone was amazing. Here's what I'm getting at. Incredible backs, backdrops. They lose money on these things. Not mm -hmm. just I'm not just talking like just a big Foo Fighter flag they had up. That's fine. He had all this stuff that was to the beat. He had to he had to curate all that art, uh, uh, the stage, the things, the 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 funny things, the stuff, the the blue instruments. His, you know, his whole thing is blue right now. Blue yeah. and white. I went home and listened to that record in a new way. Yeah. And I like six of those 12 songs in the new record. I, you know, I've listened to them on my little iTunes and shit or whatever it is, you know, Spotify. And I really appreciate what that fucker sounded like live. Now, when we went and saw Chris Stapleton pre-pandemic, summer 2019, 20,000 people at that Clark Amphitheater out there filled, yeah. sold the son bitch out. Who are they here to? I mean, it was crazy. And it was, you know, I, you get to see it live and you get to see it all, you know, big and stuff. And we were backstage. We got to shake his hand and, you know, stare him down, make a funny photo and just say thank you. And he's very sweet. You got to charm your pants right off you. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. All that shit. And he's like, mm -hmm. a, you know, he's kind of a Kentucky kid. And uh, I just love it that much more. Like, well, it, like working for him. You know? That's a, that's an interesting position to be in to Because even when you just go to a concert or you yeah. go to like a Blazer game or something and you're with that many people at one time, there's a different type of energy. Yeah. And if you're on stage performing and people are there to see you, that's insane. And you, I mean, you did Adobe Max and you said you yeah. did a TED Talk too. Yeah. What is that like? It's weird. Yeah. You know, I mean, as a person of big, you know, they're, they're, they're checking out every fold, flap and... You know, whatever. You're just not ready for inspection, America. Hey, get a good look. I mean, it's weird. You're up there and you're, you know, I did this TED Talk and you just walk out into the middle. Like, I mean, I just there's 3,000 people at the schnitz. Just, what the fuck's this guy going to say? And it was great, you know. And I <laughs> told my little shit story of working in my basement, working on my own, making good money, working for Nike, working for some shit, whatever. I told him the story. You can go watch. It's fun. Um it's all true. It's just, that's just my story. You like it or not, you know, but I got away with something cool, right? Uh, did what, you have somebody help you write it or did you write it all? 
No, wrote it all. Yeah. You know, when I got to make the book, they offer a ghostwriter and all these other things. And it was like, are you shitting me, man? I didn't, yeah. You know, I didn't hire no one to, to write my website. You know why? Because I couldn't afford it. So I do it, you know? And it's like, I was so proud to do every little fold and flap of my book because it was more of a fuck off to like, you're going to compromise me on my price. And then we're going to hire some numb nut to come in here and write it for us. Yeah. I'll take that money. Give it to me. It's actually right from the source. Two people are going to build the book. How much do they make to build the book? Oh, it's 12 grand. How about you just give that to me? I'll build it. You know, have complete control. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that into a little contract. Very chill. My uh, editor went to bat for me. And I got to make that book. And by the way, own every little piece of it and love it. And the only part that was kind of heartbreaking was when we had to hand it over to a proofreader who bragged to me on the phone. You know who I worked for the Atlantic. I've worked for the Times. I worked for the When you wring someone's neck, you don't ring it with an R I N G. You W R I N G it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think he changed mine back or something just made some change. You know? Yeah. Fucked it up. And there were a lot of typos in the first, 47 I counted or something. There, you know, the second second printing was, I don't know, down to 26 or something that we could. We found new ones, you know. It's like, this guy's supposed to be on top of his shit. You know, I, I wrote a lot in it because I was going for it. But here's the deal. That thing is up to the 12th printing. And that's not supposed to happen in graphic design. Well, we kept it a fair price. And I'm a little biased. It's a pretty fun book to go buy. But if it only went through one print, I would have been okay with it. So when you go and talk about, like, what's, what's it like to go do these live shows? It's like, listen... The biggest hits, the Adobe's, by the time I got to that, I had to do a lot of bullshit in Omaha, <laughs> you know, and things and stuff. And when you're in Omaha, from me to you is Margie the marketer. And she's sitting there just, you know, what time's lunch? <laughs> and she's watching me and this guy's going to talk about wiener dogs and some Jesus lizard band. And he's going to talk about working for Chris Stable or whatever. He's just, what time's lunch? I know how to handle that crowd too, you yeah. know? Now, in that room... Is me and you and six of us that are there for the deal, right? And appreciate this bullshit. And then there's 94 that aren't. Yeah. And you can just know how to handle it. And you show the ups and the downs. You show the bigs and the littles. And then the same shit when you go to the Adobe. Um, you know, right before the pandemic, I went down to, um, I went down to uh, the Philippines. That's the biggest. There's 4,400 or something people in that crowd. Now, I know you're like an entertainment guy. You, that might not sound crazy to you. But this was a you. It was a couple football. It's a lot of people. It was a fucking couple football fields of people sitting there. And I, what language am I? Am I even speaking up here? You know, I'm going for it. Those kids spoke better English than I did. Hmm. It was incredible. And they're coming up to me afterwards. And you know, at that time, there's all this political upheaval there with Duarte. You know, that I think it's oh, like, yeah. like scary things you're reading yeah, about. Yeah. Or while we were there, just a couple of days before, you know, these fucking Muslim extremist guys shot up a bunch of people at a, uh, somewhere. In some southern islands, that's real while we're there. So when you're there, there's dudes with giant machine guns on every corner checking you out before you go into your hotel room. Like that's, we don't have that here, yeah. you know? We don't have that here. And yet it was just real intense. And, you know, it's like, I'm just so thankful for Omaha or Philippine, you know, or, you know, Manila or whatever it was. I mean, it was, I wasn't supposed to go to any of them. The yeah. fact that I went to, I did about 470 of them. So if you do the number on that, about 10, 11 years, it's 40 shows a year after a while. It was like a band or something. But the idea is you'd fly into Atlanta on the big flight from Portland, do Atlanta, go to Tennessee, 
go to North Carolina, go to South Carolina, fly back out of Atlanta, go do a five-day tour. The last thing we did before the pandemic went, I had all these shows I had to cancel. This is where it was getting to. We fly into Orlando. We do seven nights in Orlando, seven days in Orlando, and we do a workshop and then a talk at night, seven in a row, fly back on the eighth day. Bam. Or maybe, no, sorry. Fly in the first day, do seven days in a row, fly back on the ninth day. Amazing. Do all the Florida in one week. Don't have to go back for a while. Do it in January. This was about a month and a half before the pandemic. And I booked that. We get that all figured out. We have in tandem with these schools. Because what would happen is some school from Northern Florida would call me and say, when can you come down? I'd say, well, we're, let me let me get the guys from middle of Florida. Oh, Miami called? All right. We're coming in January. Can you get it going? Are you okay with speaking on a Monday? Are they okay with coming and seeing it? We're, we did shit on a Sunday night. It was hmm. great. So to go kill seven birds with one little flight was awesome. It was awesome. Did a lot of that. Yeah, 470. That is a ridiculous amount. I had no idea it was that many. By the way, you know, 60 blocks away. Uh-huh. Out to here, out to that airport. You know, I know every little twist and turn. You know, yeah. one of the things you all you people understand when you get off that plane, do if you live where I live in Roseway, there, you know, do not get in the cab. I had dudes threaten to fight me, these old Russian guys and shit. One guy, boom, boom, he wants to take you to Hillsboro. He wants to take you to Salem. He wants to take you to something. And make a hundred and fifty dollar, you yeah, know, tab yeah. for me to get on the airport and be like, I'm sixteen blocks away from home. <laughs> the guy would be pissed. So then the Ubers came along, but the idea was, I would understand. Excuse me, sir, are you okay with taking me to sixty seven and Sandy? Get in the car, and they'd be okay. I'd guys, you get taken off, you know, from out of the airport, and you're coming around that first corner there, and the guys, where do you, where do I go? Where do I go? And I go, sixty um, seventh and Sandy, you know. Punching the ceiling, <laughs> screaming something, and I don't wow, know what the dude. fuck he's screaming in. You know, some language, and he's mad because he's only going to get a twenty dollar, you know, fee or to get me over, you know, to Sandy. So you know, like all of those weird things that you learn from going that, you know, much. By the way, that's not like I was pissing away my time on those flights. When I'm on those flights, I was working. I knew what seats to get so my bigness could handle the seat and I could not spill over with my mouse arm. Mm-hmm. You put that out into the aisle. You don't want to be spilling over to some guy who already fucked. If you're in the middle seat on some of the cheap seats, mm-hmm. by the way, I've been dealt a diamond for about seven years and I'm never going back. <laughs> all you people in those coach seats back there, and I'm speaking to all you right now with the chickens and the hay and the crates and shit, man, you guys can all go to hell. You know, it is hard to go back yeah. after you get pushed up. I've never bought a first class ticket in my life. You start getting pushed up, pushed up, pushed up, pushed up. You start angling for it, using miles in a certain kind of way. Then you have to go back. <laughs> and it always happened on like one to Amsterdam, you know. And I started getting first class seats over to Amsterdam. And I was up in the front with all these Nike people, you know, and you're watching their their their, their laptops. I'm looking at, you know, I'm making this garbage, you know. And then they're working out the next big air bullshit, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And it's like, you know, put a little something on that, man. If I work for Adidas, I'd love to see that stuff. Like I got to see that so many times because I went to Europe probably twice a year for last, you know. Pre-pandemic, last six, seven years, a couple times a year, somewhere international. Yeah, what a privilege. Yeah, man, that's that's quite the life. Where are we at with time here? We're about there. Well, then let's. I just think you got to go buy a car. It's going to be. It is time. Let me see if he wrote me with a little text because we're all excited. And he's uh, okay. All right. All, all right. right. Well, okay. I just want to say. Well, hey, wait, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it.
That was awesome. I'm glad you came down. Thank you. 